On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So, in the background, you can probably hear there's a huge thunderstorm happening here in Florida. Um... And of course, I procrastinated today and I left recording the intro to the last minute. And now we're in the middle of this massive thunderstorm. And quite often when this happens, we lose power. So I was like, I better get in the closet and record the intro before we lose power. (laughs) I hope you guys have had a good week. Just a little bit about next week's show before we get on to today's guest. Um, Next week is going to be kind of a combination of a shorter interview I did, which is really great but it's it's shorter because the person that I interviewed um has excellent English but it's not their first language so I feel like we didn't talk as long as I normally do so what I thought I would do next week is answer any questions you guys have so do a little ask me anything So remember, I can't give any medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I don't know anything about your own situation. But if you have general questions, um, you know, like what kind of soap are you using to clean your CPAP? Or, you know, just questions for me in general. I feel like I'm constantly telling you guys everything. So I'm kind of an open book. But if you have any questions for me, anything to do with, like, coping with sleep apnea, like how me and my husband have dealt with it, like that kind of thing. Just, you know, happy to answer any questions. So if you have a question for me, go ahead and email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. And I'll try and include as many as possible in next week's episode. So on to today's guest. I was really delighted to get to interview Dr. Dana Johnson. So she has a PhD um, and she's a sleep epidemiologist and assistant professor in the Department of Epidemiology at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She received her doctorate degree in epidemiologic science from the University of Michigan and completed a postdoctoral fellowship in sleep and circadian disorders at Harvard Medical School. So I was really lucky that she (laughs) agreed to talk to me And I think you're going to find this conversation really enlightening. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Dana Johnson. So Dr. Johnson, thanks so much for joining me. 
Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited we figured out a time and we can talk. Yeah. So can you start by telling everyone where you are in the world? Yes. So I am in Atlanta, Georgia. I am an assistant professor of epidemiology at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory University. When I first started my little podcast last year, Sleep Apnea Stories, and my main goal was to raise awareness of sleep apnea. And another one was to provide a platform for people to tell their stories about sleep apnea. And so what I found over this year is um, that you really can't talk about doing those things without some sort of discussion about racism and and because I was I kind of set out quite naively I think to say I want to tell all the stories and you know people from all different backgrounds and I found that it was more difficult I was able to find people from the black community to tell their stories but it was more difficult to find those stories and I found that awareness of sleep apnea was extremely low and I just was kind of a bit like, what's going on here? And then um, I saw your talk, Julie from Project Sleep had you on a discussion. And that was really like a huge aha moment where I was like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, there's a lot to this discussion. So that's why I was really glad that you agreed to come on the podcast. Um, So do you want to just start by, um, so I was reading, um, last night I was reading an interview that you gave to the Sleep Foundation, and you were talking about how people um, in Black communities are less likely to be screened for sleep apnea, but more likely to have sleep apnea. Do you want to talk a little bit about why that is? Yes. So, um, and some of this are, or some of these things are things that I'm trying to figure out, honestly, through the research that I'm doing. And so what, um, what I've discovered in, in similar to you, uh, when I first started working in the sleep field, I was really, you know, honestly not aware of a lot of the statistics around sleep apnea across populations. I actually started off studying sleep duration and sleep timing. And that was really uh, most of what what I did. And someone asked me a question once about sleep apnea. And it's like, oh, I don't really study sleep apnea, you know? And then someone again would ask me something about sleep apnea. I'm like, oh, I don't really study sleep apnea. And then um, I kept getting these questions and I started thinking about it more and it makes sense because I study racial disparities. So that's mm-hmm. why people were asking me right. about sleep apnea. And, um, and one of the, the main risk factors, and I'm going to answer your question. No, you're fine. <laughs> one of the main, I, you know, just a little bit of background to get there. One of the main risk factors, as, as many of us know, for sleep apnea is obesity. Mm-hmm. And obesity is highly prevalent in racial minority communities, particularly among African-Americans. So based on this high rate of obesity, we would expect that African-Americans would have a high rate of sleep apnea. And so, you know, I, I understood that. And I, you know, I said, well, let me, let me look into this. And um, there was a paper that came out that showed that African-Americans were more likely to have severe sleep apnea Uh, Asian populations are more likely to have a higher prevalence of sleep apnea. 
And then we also see similar rates among Hispanic Latino populations. Also some, some limited li literature, but we're also seeing this in native Hawaiian Pacific Islander populations. Mm. And so for the latter, it's, it's, you know, a lot of it is obesity driving it. But I, I, I said that there's limited studies and this is really where the problem is. We, we don't know, there's a few that have shown this, but um, to get to the, to more specifically to your question about why, so some of this, uh, so there's many reasons um, why this may happen. And you mentioned in, at the start that you had a problem, you know, finding people to share these stories because a lot of people do not know they have sleep apnea. So from one of the, the studies that I work with most, the Jackson Heart Study, we actually found that 96% of the people with sleep apnea were undiagnosed. And we were seeing... Wow you know, um, a prevalence of like 40% of moderate or severe sleep apnea, uh, some of like a high, as high as 77% for mild sleep apnea. So just thinking about an apnea hypopnea index greater than five. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that was just, that was astounding to me, like how, you know, we have this, this high rates and it, and it goes, uh, undiagnosed. So to, to get into some of these reasons, there's, there's a lot of reasons that uh, come into play. And so the first one that we have to, we have to consider is the healthcare experience. What happens at appointments? Um, we all, you know, most of us have a primary care appointment, right? Our annual checkup. And we can think about the questions that we are asked, you know, regardless of our race. You know, the questions that you're asked, they usually, you know, talk to you about your blood pressure, right? They talk to you about your weight because, you know, they measure that. These are standard questions. But I can't say that I've ever been asked about my sleep. No. And so where the, the racism part comes in is, you know, many of us have unconscious biases, right? So you get a patient of color and you ask about things that you know are prevalent in that community. So yes, they're, they're very much gonna be asked about things like hypertension and mm -hmm. diabetes, but there's not a lot of questions about sleep apnea or sleep in general. Even so though the, hypertension it, is very much linked to sleep apnea, right? Very much linked to it. That's yeah. a lot of my work, right. This podcast is sponsored by Excite OSA. Do you feel tired during the day or has your partner told you that you snore? Or maybe you've already been diagnosed with sleep apnea and perhaps you're frustrated with your CPAP machine. There may be a better way to treat your sleep apnea. Excite OSA might be able to help you and your partner get a better night's sleep. Excite OSA is an FDA-approved therapy for mild obstructive sleep apnea and snoring. Find out how Excite OSA can help you by taking the free sleep assessment at exciteosa.com. That's E-X-C-I-T-E-O-S-A dot com. Start your better sleep journey today with Excite OSA.
And so, you know, so a piece of this is, is sometimes um, different uh, biases, and I'll, I'll tell you some data about that. Uh, and then also it's about having healthcare professionals that are trained, you know, in sleep. Mm -hmm. And so they can ask questions, again, regardless of race, they can be able to ask questions um, about, about people's sleep practices and, and symptoms. And so we can just talk a little bit about symptoms. So different cultures have different beliefs and there's, there's evidence around this. So for some people, and I've heard this from friends of mine where people are like, oh, I was snoring last night. I had a great night's sleep. And of course I can't, you know, just you know, sit on that. I'm like, actually, you did not. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, snoring is actually a risk factor. It's a symptom of sleep apnea. And, and we can get into if it's really snorting or other things that happen. So in order for me to know to bring this to my physician, I have to know that it's a actual symptom, right? Yeah. And so I think in the public health realm, I mentioned I'm an epidemiologist. I work in public health. I think we have not uh, done a good job in uh, promoting the symptoms of sleep disorders, particularly among minority populations that are most mm -hmm. affected. I have not seen a commercial uh, about know the symptoms of sleep apnea, right? I, mean, I see I'm it trying, about stroke. I'm just one woman in her closet. Right, but, but yeah, that, you we will make a national massive need campaign. National we need Michelle campaign. Obama or something. Right, exactly. There yeah. has to be a presence of someone. And then, you know, the other reasons, if we get into just the disadvantaged portion of um, these populations, are regardless of income, we see that minority populations are more likely to live in lower income areas. And that's the result of things like redlining, um, being denied mortgages, mm -hmm. generational wealth. There are specific structural factors that have denied the um, growth economically in housing for minority populations. So when you live in areas that are sometimes either a match in your income, so it's a lower income area, or it's a dissimilar area, and you're living in a more disadvantaged area, the um, presence of a sleep specialist is rare. Right. And if you have, if transportation is an issue, so let's say uh, you are taking public transit, let's say you have multiple jobs, are you going to want to travel, you know, take an hour, hour and a half out of your day to go see a sleep, sleep specialist right. somewhere else? So we need that presence of sleep specialists within our communities in order to serve people. Mm -hmm. And then the I, other piece. Oh, sorry mm -hmm. to interrupt you, but like, I think no, that no, no. you just totally hit the nail on the head, right? Because that's one of the things that I've really become more aware of is a lot of the things that we're saying, we'll start with a sleep specialist and do this. Well, if somebody has no access to a sleep specialist, then that's, you know, like, what's the point? Like, there's no point in telling them that, right? Access to care is important. And it's the same thing for people that are in rural areas, you know, having access to care. So being able to get treated you know, for, or screens rather, not even treated. We are just talking yeah. about getting screened, you know, for a sleep disorder. 
And then there's there's some biases. I've, I've heard this from focus groups around um, physicians not referring sleep apnea patients or, or people that are, are screening high on a questionnaire as likely for having sleep apnea, mm -hmm. referring them to a sleep center because their mind is, oh, they're, they're probably not gonna go for the overnight study, which mm. we know you can actually give them a device and they can uh, have um, a screening in home, right? Yeah. We have in-home polysomnography. Or, oh, they probably won't adhere to CPAP or whatever treatment is prescribed. So why do this referral? So you're talking and about that is the primary doctor not making those referrals because of their own biases, whether they're conscious or unconscious, they're thinking that Absolutely. this black patient is not going to, that's really disheartening. It is, it is because, you know, you allow the person to make the right. decision if yeah. or not, but having the option is what's most important. So those are just a few of the reasons. So, you know, just as a small recap, some of this is at the healthcare level. Some of these are, you know, at the community level. And then some of these are individual, you know, level beliefs and, you know, differences in, in symptom presentation and knowing what's a symptom and not. So mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier about awareness. So if you are not aware of a condition, why would you bring it up? You know, why would you discuss right. that? So having the proper education around the disorder and the, the symptoms and things to look for, and then having the healthcare system be able to help you uh, at these different levels is most important. Yeah. Well, how much do you think that trust or mistrust of um, healthcare professionals is part of it? Like I've just been kind of reading a little bit about health equity and um, particularly I did a workshop last year where there was a woman, um, a black woman talking about when she went to the doctor, she would dress up in her best clothes and she would make sure that her hair was all done and like all the stuff and she would, you know, go and essentially present her best self to make sure she got the treatment she needed, which just blew my mind because as a suburban affluent white woman, like I would literally rock up to my GP's office like in tears in my pajamas and not even think about it. Yeah, that's a privilege, right? right. Like that's a privilege to be able to do yeah. that and know that you'll be accepted. And, you know, unfortunately a large portion of our population does not have that same, you know, yeah. privilege. And, you know, some of that is age uh, dependent. So I do see among older uh, racial minorities, they are, you know, more likely to um, subscribe to that thought of, mm -hmm. you know, if I go buy a car, if I go to, um, you know, the doctor, I need to present in this way to get a certain, you know, a response. Okay. A certain yeah. treatment. It, it's, it's true. Um, there was a, a, a part of, of my life, I've you know, since changed because I like to challenge status quo a bit. You know, if I went certain places, I immediately introduced myself as Dr. Yes. You know, Dana Johnson. So we were clear from the beginning, you know, that I am educated, that, you know, I am going to um, expect a certain level of treatment. You know, I can be here. There's a certain level. 
but we need to really move away from that, that people should right. accept us as we present. Yes. But um, to answer your question about this trust, mistrust, yes, there is um, a lingering uh, mistrust of the healthcare system uh, for many reasons, uh, historical reasons, as we've seen with, um, you know, different uh, things that have occurred. Um, and now we, we are seeing the emergence of that with COVID-19 and with the vaccine. Um, and then there are some, but it's, it's not a catch-all. And that's what we have to remember in studying racial disparities and health disparities overall, that there are different sectors. There are some particularly older folks that they are going to trust their doctors. There, you know, there is nothing that, um, you know, could be said to make them think any differently. And that's why it's so important to have a physician that uh, you do trust uh, and that's going to treat you as you should be treated, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't want to blindly trust, but there are people. So my grandmother's generation is like that, right? Like it's, this is what they said, I must do this. And I think with uh, the more younger population who have been empowered by Google and other things, they're more likely to say, hey, I saw this online, you know, this was on WebMD, yeah. let's talk about it. Um, but we do have to acknowledge that there is a mistrust that has happened from things like Tuskegee Experiment. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's something to be considered. And so you can't assume that the trust is gonna be there. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as long as we're having these issues of racism, it's always going to be a little thought of, is this the same way you would treat a different person? And we, we know this from like the pain literature yeah. that uh, there's this misconception that minorities feel less pain. So they're less likely to be prescribed, you know, the pain medicine that's needed. That's ridiculous, right? Ridiculous. And so, but people, at, and I don't know where this comes from, that you have these, you know, thoughts among people that are caring uh, for us. And so, um, yeah, that does, that does come into play. But I do think that we're at a place society-wise where people are educating themselves yes. and they are empowering themselves and they are challenging the things that are being said, which you know I think they should. I think you should ask questions mm -hmm. and uh, you have a good understanding of why, you know, why is this happening? and you know helping treat some of those underlying conditions mm -hmm. i mean i like i obviously i'm like planning to just kind of solve sleep apnea <laughs> um so and i do think you, it, you can come at it from lots of different ways like i really think that we need to i think a lot of doctors if they're screening at all for sleep apnea they're asked they're looking at like risk factors rather than people's symptoms necessarily and so I, I feel like some of that can change but also the more you educate people like if i had known i was undiagnosed with sleep apnea for more than 10 years and if i had known to go and say like i would just go to the doctor and say i'm exhausted and anxious and i don't know what's wrong with me and they would say you're probably depressed and anxious so which i you know but they're not asking the deeper questions right so if i had right. known that all those years ago 
to say I'm excessively daytime sleepy and I, you know, have headaches and I have all these things. And I notice that those are symptoms of sleep apnea. Shall we get a sleep study? You know, like I think advocating for yourself is is really important. So hopefully we can come at it like from both different ways that will kind of help. This podcast is sponsored by Mute. Regardless of whether you have sleep apnea, use a CPAP machine, or just deal with allergies and congestion, you deserve a good night's sleep. Mute is here to help make that happen. A nasal dilator made from ultra-soft medical-grade polymers, Mute gently holds your nasal airways open, which increases airflow by an average of 38%. And that 38% improvement means more breathing, less snoring, and better sleep for you and your partner, or kids, or dog. The quality sleep your body wants and needs is well within reach. Breathe more, snore less, sleep better with Mute's comfortable and customizable fit. Yeah, advocating is important. And then also thinking about your audience is also really important. So as, um, as we know, for women, women are less likely to admit they snore. Yeah. And so, you know, so it's more than just, you know, saying snoring is a symptom of sleep apnea, but getting at the things that you're talking about sleepiness. But, you know, we also know women tend to take on a lot of household burden right? And so they tend to be twi- tired anyway. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's, it's digging deeper, asking the right questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think one of yeah, the things with women as well um, is there's so many points in your life where people can say, oh, you're really tired because <laughs> like, you know, you're really tired because you're pregnant or you're really tired because you just had a baby or, but if those people are sleeping for eight hours a night and they're still exhausted, there's something not right, you know, yeah. so. Right, I, mean, I think you you nailed it there. It's important to ask about sleep, you know, routinely, especially mm-hmm. if they are, you know, mentioning these, these different you know, symptoms, risk factors, so on. And knowing that things present differently, like uh, you were just saying, it's beyond risk factors. So uh, just like every man that's obese is not going to have sleep apnea. It's important to know that there's, you know, a woman (laughs) who's also could be at risk uh, and not obese. So like we know for Asian populations is actually um, a structural, a facial structural issue Mm -hmm. where there's a narrow um, airway. Yeah. And so that's yeah. what's contributing to sleep apnea is an important screen. So they're not going to present, you know, right. as obese in many cases. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that. you wrote about that I'd never even thought about is pollution. I've never even oh, thought okay. about pollution contributing to sleep apnea, but can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. So I was actually, the meeting before this, I was uh, talking about, um, air pollution. This is a, a bigger 
topic. So you'll you'll have to stop me because I can go on and talk about your position. Um, but it's my favorite subject, it... so I'm not going to stop. <laughs> so let me try and make it brief. So um, we're talking about disparity. So I'm gonna I'm gonna add that piece into this discussion. Um, so we know that our neighborhoods are structured intentionally and they were segregated based on income, based on race, based mm -hmm. on immigration status. There's um, many reasons historically that our neighborhoods are, are, are segregated, right? And they continue to be segregated over time. And so in those areas um, that were more lower income or where racial minorities live, they were more likely to be manufacturing plants that are there that are emitting you know pollutants into the air regularly those are also the areas where they built different freeways mm. through these areas right that you know really displace people but also with this presence of freeways and more traffic you have more traffic related to air pollution and so what happens is um, certain people are more likely to live in these areas with air pollution and these particles are getting in our airway, which contributes to inflammation of the airway. Mm. And that causes an obstruction, which we know, you know, would manifest as apnea during the night, right? Mm. Uh, obstruction in your airway, you know, partial or complete that causes you to stop breathing several times per hour per night, right? And so, um, so, so that's it. So these particles that are in the airway are interrupting breathing and are contributing to um, more severe sleep apnea. Hmm. And so we're, we're trying to do more research around this. I'm doing some data now where we are collecting uh, air pollution in people's homes because there's ways in which uh, you could block air pollution from entering your house, right? Based on the way your ventilation system is structured within your home, whether or not you're opening windows and doors. Uh, so there's, there's, there's many um, structural uh, barriers that could potentially protect you or could increase your risk. So we're, we're collecting that data in the home to really understand more about what's happening during the day, but also when the person is asleep in the environment. Mm -hmm. So that's um, the brief on the hypothesis around how air pollution is contributing to sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. So I suppose like mainly because I'm originally from Europe, I think that my <laughs> first thing would be, you know, how do we actually stop the pollution in the first place as well? Like, oh, you know, so you're doing research on that? Yeah, so we're, we're collecting data um, now on um, air pollution and really uh, trying to establish that link. And so the way you do that is a more temporal thing. So we're hmm. um, looking at, you know, how this day-to-day -day variation and exposure to air pollution can affect our sleep night to night. Hmm. And so the basis of this work is that to, so we're collecting this data in order to inform public policy around um, whether it depends on the source of the air pollution. So it could be uh, policy around hours in which 
these manufacturing plants are operating mm -hmm. around, you know, how they are um, incorporating ventilation and so on um, to protect the people in the areas. Um, I just did a project here in Georgia in a community where there were several places, um, at least two manufacturing plants that were non-compliant and where you can go into the neighborhood and you could smell, it has a smell mm. based on um, some of the, I'm, I'm being careful not to <laughs> reveal the area in the, the plants, but you can smell things in this particular area. Yeah. And so we collected data and uh, we collected pollution data um, and survey data. And then we gave this information to the community. This is what we're finding. This is the levels of air pollution that's here. Here are the health conditions that we're seeing that are common. And they presented this to their um, city council and to the mayor. And so there, we, you know, it, to get them to take action mm -hmm. against these manufacturing plants, right? And I'm not saying that all plants are doing bad things. That's, that's not the point here. But there are regulations and policies that you have to adhere to. And everyone um, doesn't have the voice that they, that right. they are entitled to. And the information and the data. And the data. And so that's the one good thing, you know, that you can partner with the university. We did this study. We gave them the data and supported them in here is a problem. And so, um, so all of this work that we're doing is really to try and inform public policy, uh, really promote advocacy, you know, on behalf of the community and mm -hmm. empower them to be able to go against these um, larger companies. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so like I said, so it's a public policy thing. And then there's also um, other things that happen uh, not necessarily about sleep apnea, but more about our sleep in general with making sure there are certain times that people mow their lawns, right? It's not too early to prevent noise. You know, they come around to pick up the trash in the area. There's a ton of laws and policies that are in place in order to help protect our sleep. Mm -hmm. And so we just have to make sure they're being regulated. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you listen to the podcast, you know how many of the guests have dealt with mental health challenges along with sleep apnea. I have struggled with anxiety and depression for years and have found therapy so helpful in my journey. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. 
Visit betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's better H E L P dot com slash Emma and join the over one million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for Sleep Apnea Stories listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. So talk a little bit about, um, I know that in the sleep kind of realm, everybody talks a lot about sleep hygiene and sort of like you have to go to bed at the right time. You, you need a cool environment. It needs to be dark and, you know, and quiet. And can you talk a little bit about how there's a disparity between the black community and like um, how you might not have control over all of those things? Yes, yeah, so there are a list of sleep hygiene behaviors. Um, they're very important for our sleep, but what we have to remember and think and consider is how can we how can everybody implement those? And if you're thinking about um, aside from race, if we even just talk about income, but again, these tend to be intertwined. Like I mentioned mm-hmm. before, racial minorities are more likely to live in low income areas, if you are in an area that is unsafe, are you going to be in a dark environment, in a quiet environment? Probably not. You want to make sure, and we have data that shows this where people say, I leave my television on so someone knows that someone's in the house. So this is now a safety. This is now a safety concern. So it's hard for us to say, let's you know, you have to do all of these things, but yet we're now making a threat to their safety. And we know based on some of the work that we're doing, that safety is closely tied to sleep. You can't get a good night's sleep if you feel unsafe in your environment. And so it's important for us, again, this goes back to your point about dressing, addressing the issues. So what are we doing to make sure crime is reduced in these areas? How are we doing in response time to when someone calls 911? Um, you know, what are we, we doing to enhance safety, even in public housing spaces, right? So some of these things are happening in these buildings where you can put light in the hallways. There are a number of things that can be done to promote safety. There's data that shows um, just cleaning vacant lots you know, reduces crime in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And so we have to think about the conditions in which people live. And so I get some of these are bigger things, right? Solving crime is a larger issue. So what do we do more immediately if you're in an environment, you wanna sleep, but you need to do something to protect your safety. There are different uh, lights that, a different light source that can be used in hallways that are um, a lower lux, but they still promote light, but it may not interrupt your sleep, right? Mm -hmm. It could be a matter of have your television on in a living room, but not your bedroom. You know, there are several things we can do, but as um, sleep professionals, we're not going, or some of us are not going that extra step to talk about 
can you sleep in right. a quiet and dark place? Right. Okay, you can't. Now let's talk about some things you can't do. Can you set a timer on your television to go off at a certain time? Can you place lights in your hallway? Can you leave a living room light on, but not your bedroom light? Mm-hmm. You know, can you have, you, you get where I'm going here. Yeah. We have to make sure we educate ourselves about the environments in which people live and us, we should come up with different alternatives that allow them to feel safe, give them that protection, but still can promote health. That's our job as a sleep professionals, yeah. not the patient's job. Right. Because I think a lot of that advice, if I was a person who didn't have control over those things, I'd be like, well, this isn't for me. This is, you know, useless. So yeah, it's about offering yeah, alternatives. Okay. And I'm going to go about my day. Right. <laughs> you know, right. You're just going to go, okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about COVID. Can you just touch on that again? Like, um, just how COVID has this like disproportionately affected communities of color and, and how that's kind of, you know, played in. Cause I know like, I haven't actually had anyone on the podcast yet, but I've been talking to a couple of people who have had kind of like long COVID and one of them in particular now has sleep apnea that never had it before. And so I think that whole, respiratory thing has not been great so is there particular things about COVID that have um, affected communities of color more? Yeah I mean so it really is closely tied to some of the barriers that we talked about before Uh, so things like transportation and so on and so it becomes even more limited right so we were already limited in this access to healthcare population or healthcare professionals. We were limited in being able to get places. So now we're living in a pandemic where you should really avoid people, right? You should probably, you know, as best you can not use public transportation. And so now people are more selective about the places that they can go. So if you weren't, you know, seeing the doctor before, you know, now you have an added, mm-hmm. um, you know, barrier to that. And then the other piece is um, we're seeing that um, among racial minorities, you know, the they were uh, more susceptible to COVID-19, not only because of underlying conditions, which, you know, the news talked a lot about, but also the more structural piece of this is being more likely to be Uh, essential workers without paid time off right right? so we're no option to work from home no option to work from home right and so you're more in in um being faced with covid right and then you tie that to it's hard for me to talk about the pandemic without talking about all the the racism that we witnessed from police brutality. Right. You know, we saw the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor mm-hmm. during the pandemic. So you couple, it was you all know, the experiences. I feel like last year. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's coupled with having anxiety now, you know, which we know affects our sleep. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you're, you're faced with all of these things that now are, causing into in uh, causing more interruptions so you know are you sleepy 
yes, I'm sleepy because I'm anxious because mm-hmm. of these other things. And so it makes it even harder, I think, in, to, to really narrow down to, okay, it's, it's sleep apnea that's affecting you because now you have a number of sleep uh, disruptors. Yeah. Yes. Sleep disruptors that are coupled and they are happening in a, um, a cumulative manner. And so it's, it's, it's harder to, to get diagnosed. It's harder to access care. Um, and you may be now working multiple low income jobs, right? Because you lost a different job. So now do you have time to go get screened? Are you even worried about that? You're just trying to pay your bills. Yeah. And And I feel like people working multiple low paid jobs, like they physically don't have the same amount of time to spend on sleeping. Right. You don't, you don't. And you know, it's, it becomes a challenge if we're trying to say, okay, you need to get the sleep. And that person is saying, well, I need to pay my bills, right? So I need to do these things. And then it also, you know, affects the children because there's now, you know, we're preventing um, potentially uh, a consistent bedtime from from occurring and consistent wait times if the parent is in and out. So these are, again, structural issues where what's the solution? Raise uh, minimum wage. Mm -hmm. That will solve it, right? So there, there's, you know, things that can be done, but all to, all to say the pandemic really presented even more of a barrier to healthcare, sleep care um, for these populations because of, you know, the work uh, that's being done, you know, occupations, living in these areas, barriers to transportation and so on. Um, and so having a remote visit on a computer screen as opposed to a smartphone, like all of these things, um, you know, I think were, I think everybody tried to do the best they can during this pandemic, but certain population that did not have the, you know, the, the privilege and uh, advantage to have these systems set up to work from home, have a computer mm-hmm. to have a um, uh, a healthcare interaction. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been like really enlightening and really helpful. So, I mean, I feel like we've got our work cut out a little bit. <laughs> um, we do, but we can do it. We can, can totally do, do it. Yeah. Uh, I think what the main message here is, um, we have a job to do on the side of sleep professionals, healthcare professionals, to make sure we're creating equitable experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that who the target communities are that are most likely to be at risk. And we need to do what we can to make screening and treatment easier. And then, you know, from a policy side, we need to do more about promoting what are the symptoms of sleep disorders like sleep apnea. And then so individuals can know when they're at risk. Mm -hmm. And then for the patients, I would just say, you know, I want to empower people to be an advocate for themselves, you know, ask the hard questions, you know, challenge things, you know, find out 
Are there lifestyle things can, that can be changed if you don't want to take a medication or mm-hmm. have a surgery if it's not necessary? But just feel empowered that you can ask the questions and that person, whoever you're seeing is there to help you, is to treat you and um, you know, do that. And if you need resources, please seek them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are usually advocates that are at you know, healthcare institutions. And so utilize them and have them work on your behalf. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, that's all I'll say. Yeah. So thank you very much for, for having me. Thank you so uh, much for sparing the time. You are very welcome. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.